Am I on on the lapel? Well, good morning, church. You know, <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to have a word of prayer, but I, I do want to just, just let everyone know since I'm standing up here. I don't know if you ever had a battle with the Lord. Um, yeah, I just wanted to explain to you what the forehead was about. Someone approached me earlier, and he held my hand and says, Joey, you are in a safe place. Um, <laughs> Brother Gary asked me what happened. I told him my wife beat me, and he says, you deserved it. Um, and, and so, no, no, I, I, I was uh, carrying some things. I was wrestling with God earlier this week, wondering if I was just being too stubborn because I didn't want to listen to something that, that, I, that I was feeling impressed with. And I'm carrying things. I swing the door open. It comes right back, and it decides to hit me. And I, I said, okay, God, I hear you loud and clear. Uh, where maybe I am being a little bit too hard-headed. Um, but... Anyhow, so, so that's what happened. I, I fought with a door and the door won. Um, but let's go ahead and have a word of prayer as we get to the message for today. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We want to ask that you be with us right now. We're already rejoicing. Uh, we, we are celebrating today uh, Alicia giving her life to you. And we've had some music. We had the children's stories. We've had the prayers. But Father God, now as we're about to open the scriptures, we dare not do so without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit for wisdom, clarity, understanding. I ask that you anoint my lips, that it be you speaking and not I, and that you prepare our hearts and our minds to be received receptive to your message. This is my prayer. In the most precious name of Jesus, let everyone here say, Amen. So today's topic is called High Rise Christians. Um, you could go ahead and find your way to Isaiah 43. Um, and while you're making your way over to Isaiah 43, let me tell you a little bit about High Rise Christians. You know, first of all, you Floridians, for the most part, I haven't been to every area of Florida, but every area I've been to, I don't really see anything, not even resembling a high-rise. If you are from, from New York, Jersey, you, you know what high-rise are. You know, I, I've been to them all. I was there at the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center before they fell. I, I've been to the Empire State Building. When we were in seminary, I took my wife and kids. We went over to, to Chicago and, and saw the Sears Towers. I mean, the Sears Tower, I mean, this is a high-rise. This is uh, almost 1,500 feet into the air, made, weighs roughly 445 million pounds. And, and so when you look at a high-rise building, when you look at this, you recognize one thing that people don't know. This high-rise building, specifically the the, uh, Sears Tower, has a very, very deep foundation. It has 114 pillars all the way down, deep down, as high as the Statue of Liberty. So you have 114 of them because you see the idea of having a high-rise, the higher it is, the more solid your foundation needs to be. The deeper it is, the more well-rooted that it needs to be in. And so I want to ensure that over the next couple of months, as we study together, as I have the opportunity to bring the, the Word of God here, not because of my own doing, but because of His, that we build on a solid foundation. 
I want to make sure that we are high-rise Christians. And so we're going to talk over the next couple of messages. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. But before we talk about anything with spiritual gifts today, I want to share with you the purpose of why we have the spiritual gifts. So we're not going to address what the gifts are. We're not going to address how they function and what they entail. We're going to address the foundation of why they were given to us to begin with. Is that all right? Can we do that? So I'm going to give you some foundation principles. Foundation number one, spiritual gifts teach us about our worth. They teach us about our worth. They were given to us because of what we are worth. See, right now, our self-worth is put to question all of the time. Our self-worth is something that, that is an issue. You know, young ladies, uh, my, my heart aches for you. I put a couple of years ago a post on Facebook of an ad from the, the, the 20s and 30s promoting how to gain five pounds in just one week, encouraging ladies to be able to, 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 to uh, prescribe to this and they will be able to get the way that they want. Because, you know, with the exception of when, I've, when I go to Africa where usually heavyset men are considered wealthy and attractive, you know, because they, they think, man, you got to have money if you're able to maintain that kind of body. And, and so, so the, the heavier you are, the more attractive you are to people. Here in this, in this world, where we are right now, in this part of the world, it is now suddenly it shifted from gaining weight to know you have to be a stick in order to be an attractive individual. And my heart aches because no matter how hard you try, you can't compete with what you see on the media and magazines and everything else. Half of that stuff is Photoshop, and most of those people know that sometimes they get paid to actually exercise and eat healthy for a living. Those of us who have real jobs and schools and stuff like that and crazy schedules, it's difficult to maintain that. But suddenly you have a standard that you have to meet. And there are many folks sitting here right now in the pews that are questioning our worth, questioning your worth and your value. Spiritual gifts, foundation block number one, are given to us to teach us about our worth. You see, when you struggle with worth issues, with value issue, with self-esteem issues, two things happen. One, in general, you become the one individual who continually was trying, 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 and then just gave it all up. Forget it. I'm just whatever. And, you know, they walk around like Eeyore, and they just completely gave up on life and gave up on everything else. And then you have another group of people who then the way that they respond when they have so low, low self-esteem is that they try to find their value on a mission, on a purpose, on a law, on a set of principles, on a code of conduct. Perhaps they try to find a value on people. They let their husband, their house, their car, their children, something or a person define them. And they think that joy and worth is there. But it is not how it works. You cannot put your faith, your trust, and base your worth on people. You can only base your worth on what God thinks about you. And this is what this is about. This is what this is about. It cannot be on the laws or the commandments. Because, I mean, right now, there's many of you sitting here right now in the church in our pews that are your, your, that you're complying in the outside, but on the inside, you are dying. And so we need to hear the wonderful truths about God's love. We need to hear that God never sees a crowd. He only sees individuals. We need to hear that God loves you as though you were the only individuals in the entire universe. We need to understand that he is more interested in our own happiness than what we are on ours. Desire of Ages, page 561, it says, One soul is of such value that in comparison with it, worlds sink into insignificance. 
in the eyes of God, the worlds mean nothing. You mean something. All right, is everybody with me in Isaiah 43, 1? Isaiah 43? Isaiah 43, verse 1. Here's what it says. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have what? Redeem you. I have what? Call you by your? And you are what? You are mine. Absolutely. Find your way to 1 Corinthians 12. And when you're working there, I want to talk about this here. Because I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. And you are mine. I don't know what a name means to you. But a name is meaningful for me. It is very very meaningful. And, and, and so, you know, my family, um, my middle name is Ines. It's a female's name. It was my old great, great, great grandmother's middle name. And somehow all of my cousins, you know, my, 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 brother, my dad has 20 uh, brothers and sisters. And all of my cousins, hundreds of them, they all have the middle name Ines. And so growing up, I couldn't stand the name Inez. I told no one, and in Puerto Rico, not only do you use your first name, your middle name, your last name, but also your mom's last name as well, as though you didn't have enough names to, to, to use on there. And they just throw them all on there, and I couldn't stand it. I had issues with it. When I got older, you know what? I thought maybe all those months of therapy got, got me over the whole Inez issue. Yeah, I didn't do therapy. But anyhow, I thought I was good. And then suddenly, before I officially met my wife, she is reading my name, and she's chanting from the room, Josie. Who's Josie? Because my real name is Jose. And so she read it as Josie and went from there. I was like, really? And she struggled with that with my name, and I realized, man, I have some issues with people messing up my name. So, so my family has always nicknamed me Joey, but in Spanish churches, the J is like a like Jose. So they would say, Hoey. Hoey, is Hoey here? And, and so it's like, come on. But my God calls me by name, and he gets it right. He pronounced it the proper way. He knows exactly what my name is, and he says, you are mine. And I love that. I appreciate that because he is my heavenly father. He is my daddy, absolutely. And he says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That's how my God functions. I don't know if you ever read Luke 15. You have parables in there. And understand that this parables, you have a parable of the lost sheep. There were a hundred, but one of them was lost. Not many of them, just one. And the whole world rejoiced when one came back. The lost coin right after that. One coin. It wasn't like I lost my wallet with all this money. No, no, no. The lost coin, singular coin. And then you have the prodigal son. You're familiar with that. It wasn't that all the children left. It was one child. And do you know that God will send his son to the world even if it was just for one of you? Do you realize that all of this he would have done just for one? You are worth a lot in the eyes of God. He would do it all over again. The redemption process, the salvation, the second coming of Christ. Can you imagine all of heaven and earth completely silent because Christ and his angels are coming down just to get one? You are worth it. You are that lost coin. You are that lost sheep. You are that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter. Spiritual gifts, foundation block number one, is given to us.
to teach us about our worth. God gave you, gave you a gift because he wants you. Let me tell you this. You, you, we just went through Christmas. Some of you made your list. You know very well there's a lot of people that didn't make that gift list. You know that when you get gifts, it's because there's something special about that individual. And God gave you gifts because he wants you. This is a truth that we need to hear over and over. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. When you have it, say amen. And stay in 1 Corinthians 12 towards the, uh, towards the end. I'll tell you to go to a couple of more verses. But stay in there for a little bit. When you have it again, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. Amen? Look what it says. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleads. So here you have God comparing the gifts and comparing us to a body. Each one as he pleases. He has chosen you to be part of this. You have been chosen and placed specially and gifted. You are equipped through spiritual gifts for, to fulfill a unique and indispensable role in the kingdom of God. You are irresponsible. Your, your particular mixture of gifts, personalities, and experience are unique in the whole entire universe. You are a unique individual. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Melanie and I, when we were in New Jersey, uh, she worked with the youth department. And so did I, and that's how we met. We work with, with several churches, 108 churches. And from church to church, you see individuals in church, oh, this reminds me of this other member. And she reminds me of the other one. And, and you kind of see similarities, and, and we get that, you know. My, my, my old treasurer in, in St. Pete, our, you remind me of him as well. You know, similar characters and the wisdom. You know, when they open the, their mouth at board meeting, you need to be quiet and just listen because they're there. I mean, so you have similar characters, but even so, Not one is the same as the other. You are as unique as fingerprints. And God has pieced you you together and asked you to be part of one body. You can help people in a way that nobody else can. You can love in a way that no one else can. You are very unique in in, in the plan of God. Are we good? Foundation block number two. Spiritual gifts give us a sense of belonging. You know, I have to tell you, um, our churches, our churches, many times we come here and whether we're surrounded by five people or 500, we feel like we're completely detached. We feel like we just don't belong. We feel awkward. Like I, I don't belong with you church folks. But then when I hang out with my old friends and family, because I don't do the lifestyle thing like I used to, I don't quite belong there either. But understand that spiritual gifts, not only are they given to teach us about our worth, but to teach us that we belong. And so what happens is that as individuals, we are so scarred. And we have been so scarred by what people have done to us that we think foolishly, that we're better off just doing it on our own. Let me tell you this. When I was in college, I hated group projects. I couldn't stand them. There was always that one person that never showed up, that didn't do the work, and I had a choice. Do we make up the work so that we don't jeopardize everybody? Or do we say, huh, you wanted to bury yourself? I guess we're all going down. And so you always chose, and, 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 and I struggled with that. It was an issue. But you know what? People aside, we need people. People aside, regardless of the scars and what we've been through, we need to belong some way, somehow, to some group and be part of the whole. 
It is very lonely to be alone and with no one else on our side of the group, regardless if you prefer to do it on your own. We need people. There was, uh, uh, I think, the last story that, the, the, actually, the only Bible uh, children's story I told here talked about spider webs unite. When spider webs unite, they can tie up lines. And that's the idea. There's strength in that. In the book Spiritual Bodybuilding, page 41, it says In the first half of the century, the extended family provided an invaluable place of belonging. Neighbors visited, communities were close knit, but that has changed. People are crying out, searching, knowing that something is missing. Churches are not exempt. One man sadly described church as a place where we all come to be lonely together. You can be lonely in a crowd. And so understand that, you know, spiritual gifts design us to belong to something, to be part of a body. Let me tell you this. You know, let's, let's pretend that, you know, you, you are a foot in the body of Christ. I have seen some good-looking feet, and I have seen some ugly feet, you know, and, and it's okay. But as great as a foot might be in the body of Christ, guess what? They belong. The, the foot is attached to the leg. The leg is attached to the hip. The hip is attached to the torso. You know, we are told when it's compared to a body that you need each other and that you belong together. We simply do. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. And you, keep, you kept it there, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 14, it says, For in fact, the body is not what? One member, but what? Many. Verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is therefore not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? You know what? I'm not a hand, so I'm not going to be part of the body. You're still part of the body. This is a great analogy because we belong together. God wants you in his team, and he wants you to play a particular role in his team. And that position is determined by our spiritual gifts. Foundation gift number three. Spiritual gifts teach us that we all have a spiritual calling. Do you understand the difference between a job and a vocation? It really comes down to your calling. I have worked. i got to sit down someday and count it. But since the age of 11 up until the age of 30, I work at least three jobs. At least three jobs, sometime more. I have held many, many positions, and some of them quite prestigious. Executive director of the YMCA, uh, you know, director of the Jewish Community Center, mortgage advisor, had over 10,000 employees, financial advisor, had my own uh, building and company established. I mean, I have worked many positions, but I have never been happiest except when I felt a call to ministry. And I have to tell you, it, there's a difference. And I don't get to clock out. There's no bonuses or commissions. There, 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 there's nothing like that. You get all of the negative stuff from those other jobs minus all of the perks, you know. And, and so there, there, there's nothing really fun about being in pastoral ministry. But I have to tell you, there's a joy in my heart that even when, when, when it can be burdensome, I enjoy it. You sort of just fit together. And that's what happens when you find your calling in the body of Christ. You know, I have to tell you, I, I struggle in particular areas of ministries. I've served in many areas in the church. But when you find the right area, it just fits. You're saying, yes, all right, this is me. I can hang with this. And understand that this is a spiritual calling. So your spiritual gifts is not just some tool that you do when you do church work. It's not just something, you know what, when I go to church, this is what I do, and then the rest of the week, I, I do nothing else with that. You know, they, they are a part of you, an everyday part of you, just like your ability to speak. 
And so they're an integral part of your home, your church, and your community. Your job is the job of a full-time pastor. Your job is that of a full-time ministry. You are a minister regardless of which area, and that is your calling wherever you have been called. Uh, Ephesians 4.1, don't go there, stay in 1 Corinthians, but it's Ephesians 4.1, if you're writing it down. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling which you were called. See, not everybody has to plan to be a minister per se, like you do full-time job as a pastor. But everybody can be a minister in the area that you are. You don't know how many times I've had church members that says, you know what, you're so lucky. You get to do ministry full-time. I wish that I could, I could be able to do that full-time as well. Guess what? You're not just a plumber, an accountant, an electrician, an attorney. You're not just that. Where you are and what you are able to do, you can bless God and be a blessing to others in your caring positions. You can do that regardless of your job title, regardless of what you do for income. When you are called by the Lord in that very area, you can serve. You see, that, you know, and we are told in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, that we are all parts of the body. So the pastor is a part of the body. The plumber is a part of the body. The electrician is a part of the body. We are all part of the body of whom? You're part of the body of Christ, absolutely. So there's no distinction between what you do uh, between sacred and secular. You don't have a secular job, and then you go witnessing on Sabbath. There is no distinction. You should be able to do work that is sacred, whether you're accounting, whether you're doing plumbing, whether you're doing uh, electrical work, whatever it is, you can do that sacred work because all you do becomes an act of worship. Do you know what's the difference between sacred and secular? At the mountain where Moses was, where the burning bush appeared, God said to him, if he had a Spanish accent, Moses, remove your sandals because you're standing on holy ground, right? What made that dirt holy? It looked like just like all the other dirt around. So, I'm sorry, what was, it? What was that? The presence of God. Dirt is dirt. You throw God in, it is holy, your house, your car, your job, whatever you do, you throw God in it, and it is sacred. Now, I know half of you wouldn't want me to talk to your coworkers about your sacred work, but imagine if you were to turn that environment into a ministry environment where you really take on your calling and you're able to carry out this sacred work. Imagine that. And, and so also understand that sacred not only has to do with, with the presence of God, but also with its purpose, with what you do with it. For example, a knife can perform surgery or it can rob someone. You know, and is the exact same knife. And it can do that. Grape juice can be a refreshing drink, or you could let it get fermented, and it could be an intoxicating thing, and have drunk drivers and whatever else. Money can be wonderful. You, you can use it to buy medicine or other things, or you can gamble it away or spending all kinds of other filth. Moses' rod was just a stick. But when you use it for the Lord, it is something amazing. So understand that, that when we look at the spiritual purpose, when you, when you look at the spiritual purpose of our calling by God, it reveals his character, his love, his excellence, his justice, and his mercy. God never designed our lives to be sectioned off between sacred and, se- and secular. We were called to touch everything. 
everything that we touch to be sacred and holy. It doesn't matter if it's gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit or if it's natural talents and, and hobbies or, or, or any specialties that, me, that we have. It could be something that can be sacred all around. Steps to Christ, page 81. Steps to Christ, page 81, says the following. The greater part of our Savior's life was spent in patient toil in the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. He was uh, as faithfully fulfilling his mission while working at his humble trade as when he healed the sick or walked upon the storm-tossed ways of Galilee. So in the humblest duties and lowliest positions of life, we may walk and work with Jesus. Steps to Christ. Page 81. So when you guys get up for work this, this Monday morning, or those of you who go in tonight, nurses and stuff, or Sunday morning, put on your priestly robes, because where you have been, you have been called to carry this out for God. Foundation block number four. Spiritual gifts free us from the guilt placed on us by others. They free us from the guilt placed on us by others. You know, right now, I don't know if we've done it yet, Bill. I don't know where Bill is at, but uh, he's probably working with the food. By the way, elders uh, are leading out today in the, in the food thing, so come and join us, and thank you all for bringing and contributing. Um, so he might be over there, but I don't know if we passed out yet the little papers for nominating committee, but if we didn't do that last week or this week, we'll definitely do that next week because we're about to start nominating committee. And my prayer is that for nominating committee, we get people serving based on their giftedness, not their willingness or guilt. Well, there's no one else, so can you please step up and do it because there's absolutely no one. Could you imagine if you actually serve based on giftedness? Could you imagine if we put greeters at the door who don't have grumpy faces? Who are sitting there, good morning, have a salad. Uh, you know, it's like, why not? Or somebody to work with our children who just can't stand little kids. Ah, the noise and the running and the ah, and the smells and the fluids, because there's always fluids, you know. And, and, and so, I mean, could you imagine if it's actually people who were gifted in that area? Do, do you understand? And, and so, so, so our gifts free us from the guilt placed on us by others. Because when you know where you belong in the body of Christ, if you're a hand and somebody says, look, I need you to be a foot, I'm sorry. I am gifted as a hand. I will be the best hand that I can be. I'll wave at everybody, give high fives as much as possible. But I can't be a foot. I just cannot. 1 Corinthians twelve seventeen. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians twelve seventeen. If the whole body were and what? Where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? We can't all be foots or feet and hands. We all have to play our different parts. And so that's why this is such a wonderful thing, because it teaches us where we fit in the body of Christ. Foundation block number five. Spiritual gifts enables God to continue the incarnation. It enables God to continue the incarnation. Acts 1.1, this is how it begins. The former account I made of Theophilus at of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He began with all that Jesus began. Acts 1.1, it says, with all that Jesus began. Meaning, now this is the same chapter that Jesus, Jesus ascended. So if he begins with all that Jesus began, that means that Jesus' work is not finished yet, even though he ascended to heaven. So then the question is, how in the world is Jesus going to finish the work which he began? Can anybody guess? Should we guess? Should we speculate? Come on now. Line up online. Please, little please, here, little end. There, little. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You're all still in 1 Corinthians 12, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now. What does it say there? Now what? 
You are the body of Christ. How is Jesus going to finish the work? Well, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The responsibility falls on us. Christ is the head. We are the body. And that's how Christ can finish the work, working in us and through us for the benefit of all. And some people are saying, yeah, but Jesus is so talented. He's so loving. He is so patient. Oh, boy, is he patient because I ain't my gift. How in the world is anyone like me? supposed to carry out the work of the body of Christ. Well, it wasn't meant to be anyone just like you. It was meant to be all of you. It was meant to be all of the pieces coming together. I can't lift this by myself, but get a couple of us, and then we will lift it together as one body. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We need the body to come together and work. You represent the body of Christ. I mean, could you imagine envisioning Christ handicapped? If suddenly he was a missing leg or he was catching his breath because he couldn't breathe because somehow the legs of the church were missing and the lungs of the church were missing, therefore the body of Christ is crippled? Praise God that through his grace and mercy, we have been able to do everything that we can do crippled. But could you imagine how more efficient if we have a full, healthy body? Go with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. And when you have it, say amen. First Peter chapter 4. When you have it, say amen. First Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Look what it says here. 1 Peter 4, 10. It says, as each one has received a what? First of all, each one of us has at least one gift, okay? Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The apostles calling us stewards and managers of the grace of God. And, he, and all of us has it. And so it is through all of us that God's grace, flow, God's grace flows out into humanity. It is through our spiritual gifts. He has voluntarily, God has voluntarily made himself dependent on us. Do you picture what that is? He could have finished the work all by himself, but he has chosen us to carry out this task for him. Let's go ahead and go to foundation block number six. And make your way to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Last text for today. Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're working your way there, foundation block number 6 is as follows. Using our spiritual gifts is a key to fulfilling our eternal destiny. I want you to understand something. If you paid attention to none of the other five foundation blocks, I will repeat them at the end just in case. But you need to pay attention to this one. Because the gifts are given to us. In order for us to fulfill our eternal destiny. Do you think, you know, I've had people tell me all of the time, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, when we go to events and stuff like that, I'm going to come to your side of heaven, you know, when, when, um, uh, to eat that food. Because you Spanish people, Mm-mm-mm, man, you guys can cook. And then I've heard it say to others, man, I'm going to go to that other side of heaven because you black people can sing. And, and they go all out. And it's like, do you think heaven is going to be segregated? Is that your mind? Do you think that our racism, our bigotry, our hatred, all of that is going to come to heaven? I mean, come on. 
And, and so understand that right now, if you're struggling loving people, you need to start practicing right now. It is by beholding that we become changed. Understand that when we get transformed in a twinkle of an eye, this, this mortal body will put on immortality. But my character, my hatred, my bigotry is not going to be transformed. Character building begins right now. It's being molded and shaped right now. If you want to be loving Christians and, and, and lovable Christians too, because some of you are not that lovable, you know, but we need to allow Christ to work in our bodies right now. Right now, this is the moment. And, and I get it. I get it. Some of us, we like to procrastinate. You know, for me, I hate stress. I really, really do. And so in the beginning of, of the semester, when I used to be in college, I would get all of the work, and I would start working on my papers from the get-go as much as I could so that I could be relaxed. While everybody's stressing with papers, I'm just studying for finals and just enjoying. That's how I work. Some of you don't do your papers to the night before. Sometimes the morning of, you're studying and cramming for a test, and I get that. But when it comes to character building, it is character building. You know, my brother and I, we're going to go to Puerto Rico. We're going to go uh, rebuild a house. And um, you guys are crazy, by the way. And thank you so much. You, you guys raised over five grand for this Puerto Rico thing. So we identified about 30 houses that we can purchase materials for the roofs. We don't know if we're going to be able to help pay for labor, but at least we'll be able to supply with materials to get this stuff done. And, and so it is phenomenal. But could you imagine if you're just rushing a construction can you imagine if you're, if you're rushing a high-rise? We are high-rise Christians, and our foundation has to be deep and profound and holding on to Christ. So if you're having a difficult time loving a particular type of people because of ageism, sexism, racism, or anything like that, take it to God. Start praying for that right here and right now. Or maybe it's just your family member. It has nothing to do with race or age, but it's that one brother or sister I just can't stand, that uncle, that aunt, you know. You need to take it before God's throne immediately because character building begins right here and our spiritual gifts Last foundation block, number six, is the key to fulfilling our eternal destiny. We are meant to be co-workers and co-laborers with God. 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Medical ministry, page 315, it says, One who believes in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior is to be a co-worker with Him, bound up with His heart of infinite love, cooperating with Him in works of self-denial and benevolence. This life is a training ground for the ministry that's to take in heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about the new earth, but it does give us good ideas of what it might look like to let our imaginations just really understand what this can be. And so here's the first thing that we get. The first thing the Bible tells us is that we are going to be kings in heaven. Revelation 1, 5 through 6, it says, Unto him that loves us, he has made us kings. Revelation 3.21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And then you also have uh, the parable of the talents. You guys may have remembered from Matthew 25.23 where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rulers over what? Many things, absolutely. And then the other thing that we learn about heaven is that not only are we going to be rulers and kings, but we're going to minister before the presence of God. Revelation 7, 15, Therefore, are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Revelation three twelve. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. 
book Maranatha, volume 2, page 367. Page 367. Look what it says. The privileges of those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony are beyond comprehension. The upward look, page 97. He that used the two talents entrusted in this life will in the future life show that his talents have not been corrupted. They will be used on a wider and nobler plan. And now go with me to the last text for today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. When you have it, say amen. Ephesians 2, verse 4. Amen? Here's what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you see that togetherness there? When we were dead, he made us alive together. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up, what? And made us sit, what? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. That in the what? Ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul says in the ages to come. In the ages to come. Our gift sets us up as a foundation for the future plans as well. For the work that we act to carry out in heaven. This is the purpose for our spiritual gifts. Not only that, you're going to get a chance to testify to the goodness of God. There's going to be other worlds out there and other beings who are going to be saying, Hey, so you are one of those redeems? You're one of the few that get to sing that song that nobody else can? Man, what was it like? Wow. And not to brag about what sin is, but to brag about what a wonderful, mighty God we serve. So there you have the six foundation blocks for spiritual gifts. In the future, we'll talk about individual gifts as well. But it is my prayer that you understand what this means, your worth, your role in God's kingdom, that you're able to truly find your calling so that when you serve God, you do it out of joy and excitement, not out of guilt and willingness. And what a mighty work will that be. He has chosen you to be part of his body. I don't know if you get that. Have you ever played, and, and, and I know some of the other folks may not, my daughter has this cool little application where you get to put different kinds of hair, and you could take a photo, and it has like purple and pink and big and long and short, and you sort of click the pieces together. Imagine when you're building, you know, like, like put, putting your body together. I'm sure there's some, there's some parts you may want to get rid of in your body. You know, and, and I understand that, but God chose you and handed picked you. He knit you together in your mother's womb before the foundation of the world. He knew you. He called you by name. He says you are his. And he chose you to be part of that body. It is my prayer that it is your desire to fulfill your destiny in the body of Christ. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God. And Father God, we I ask that you be with all of us as we continue to discover our role in your body. We want to do right by you, and we thank you because you're a God that loves us, who calls us by name. Bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.